Welcome to the 11th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we talk about murders that intrigue us. I'm Mercedes. And I am Cindy. In this week's episode, we'll talk about a group of honor roll students whose robbery plot turns deadly. Thanks for listening to last week's episode where we discussed the killing spree of the Sunday morning slasher, Coral Watts. Our podcast is not recommended for children. Fair warning, this is extremely horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, please visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Subscribe to to our podcast on your favorite platform, and please give us a five-star rating. While you're there, leave us a comment telling us which murder intrigues you. And if you like our show, please consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. We appreciate our part- our Patreon supporters so very much. Cindy, how's it going this week? Going pretty well. How are you? I'm pretty good. Christmas is coming up. Oh, wait, Yay. or did it already pass? I don't <laughs> even know when we'll air this episode, right? Right. Yeah. yeah so, so um, where we are now is we're pre-recording for um, you know Christmas vacays and things like that. So, hey, this will be released on whichever day it's released. <laughs> hey, hope you had a merry Christmas because I know it'll be before that or. Maybe it'll be New Year's Eve. I don't know, but Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's if um, this comes before or after that time. Yes. So, um, Cindy, today we're going to go back to California. This time we're going to go near uh, in a suburb of Los Angeles. Okay. And this area is uh, Fullerton. It's in Orange County, California, and it's considered one of the best places to live in California, relatively crime-free. It's got the perfect mix of urban and suburban. So you've got your downtown, you've got your suburbs, you've got um, you most... You've got your, your house, housewives. That's right. A lot of doctors and attorneys and things like that. Most residents own their own homes. And the public schools are amazing. Like, they're, they're all A schools. Everybody goes, pretty much not everybody, but um, the schools are just all that. All right. And I, and I mentioned that because the guys that we're going to talk about this week are all high school seniors. Whoa. Yeah, we're going to talk about high school seniors this year, or this whoa. week. This and, year. whoa, it's still, it's still <laughs> 2019, yes. right? Um, all of them are honor roll students except for one, and our story takes place, um, this murder actually took place on New Year's Eve 1992, so I, I thought it was kind of fitting when I typed in New Year's Eve murders, this one popped up. Yes, so, very much. Yeah, so um, all of these guys, all but one of them was on an academic um, superstardom, like on a path towards Ivy League colleges. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Ivy League derailed. Yes. So I'm going to start with 17-year-old Stuart Tay. Tay is a Chinese-American. He's an honor roll student at Foothill High School in Santa Ana, California. And um, he was the son of a prominent doctor. His mom was a homemaker. She was very active in the Asian-American community. She did a lot of charity work and volunteer work. She won some awards for that. She, um, she, you know, made sure that her children, she had a daughter and a son, they had lived um, in a nice area. 
They had built their own, their dream home, 8,000 square feet. What? Yes. Uh, 11 rooms had a... That's like a, seven of my house. I know. I know, right? Seven. They had a swimming pool. They had tennis courts. And their kids drove the best cars, had the best opportunities. Of course they did. Now, the son, Stuart, he was um, he was a good boy. He was an honor roll student. He was a Boy Scout. He was a leader in the key club at school. He founded the Asian American Club at Fullerton High School. So he was he was even an entrepreneur. He um, was into selling and building custom uh, computers, and his goal was to attend Princeton. So he was he was he had applied to Princeton. He was expecting to get um, uh, accepted in the spring. Wow. So yeah, what a life, right? But police said that on the surface, Tay was a good boy. But he also had a dark underside. After they, after they did a little bit of investigation, they realized, you know, this is a perfect child until you dig a little deeper. Uh-huh. Um, so what they found out was that Tay had this idea to rob a computer dealer, um, and a computer dealer in Anaheim. Okay. And he was talking to his girlfriend about this. Like, yeah, I've got this great idea for a computer dealer heist. What do you mean computer dealer? Like, like someone who sells wholesale parts or I, both? Computers? Like, I think both because I know that I read that he puts he uh, he had bought some computer parts from this guy before, but the guy probably always also has PCs. Now remember, this is ninety two. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of when I got my first computer. It's probably right around then maybe late 80s early 90s so computers were still rather expensive at the time yes. and they were really big i remember that yes. uh, so and i know that a lot of my friends would build their own it was cheaper for them to build their own and they could get more they could get more for their money by building their own anyway he had this idea for to for a heist i mean you know what you're a senior in high school you're an honor roll student and you come up with a heist Right now, I don't know when the Fast and Furious movies came in, came out, but you know, it's kind of like it was after that. But there, it was kind of like the glory of you know the criminal underworld out of that lured this kid. Anyway, he told a lot of movies, yeah, a lot of TV shows where you know, right, right, yeah, like you said, yeah, the glory of it, it was glorified. Yeah, he was dating a girl named Jennifer Lynn who went to, um, uh, rival high school she went to sunny hills high school and he was talking to her about this high school. She's like dude i know the perfect guy that can help you he's my ex-boyfriend and he can find you a gun he's also what? got ties to the watching now let me tell you a little so he bit he wasn't an honor student huh yes he was an honor student he was. yes oh, yes wow. so the watching is a chinese american gang and i did a little bit of research on it and it, what it means is it means Chinese youth. And it refers to a Chinese street gang that originated in San Francisco around 19, sometime in the 1960s. And these Cantonese immigrants would come together and the American-born Chinese would terrorize them, you know, shake them down for money. So these Cantonese immigrants formed a gang called the Watching. Okay, I can't blame them if they're being... Well, they quickly became organized crime group with alleged multi-international ties, multi-international and national criminal connections, and it's still there in L.A. today. Um, I did the research, and about 3,000 members are still in L.A. with about 1,000 affiliates. Wow. That, and also, I learned that they associate with the Bloods. Now, yes. Really? So if it, I guess it came down to gang warfare, gang turf, they would side with the Bloods. I don't know anything about gangs. 
but that's just what I found in my research. Um, now, police had, LA police had in 1992 did not know of any kind of watching activity in, in the LA area, in the Orange County area. They did get a call in, um, in October 1992 that I'm going to tell you about in a minute, but okay. he said this, this guy named Roop, he's a police spokesperson, he said that Asian, Asian gangs are different from your typical Hispanic or African American gangs, or even your white gangs because they dress conservatively they'll dress in suits they'll dress in ties they'll dress like preps they're very conservative they do well in school they don't drop out they're your honor roll kids they often hold jobs so they're entrepreneurs they have jobs they also don't stand out they don't wear tattoos they don't tag walls with graffiti in their neighborhood so it's hard to identify them basically what they do is they band together for burglaries and robberies wow okay Okay, so like I mentioned a few minutes ago, the, poli- the police had gotten a call in October of 1992 of possible ties of watching being in the area. And actually, one of the people that is involved in our murder today, Robert Chan, was involved in this incident where they had gotten this call. According to the police report, Chan and six other Asian American boys went to the home of a classmate because they believed that he had ba- badmouthed the watching. The police, Ooh, don't do that. yeah, I know, but the police said, no, they didn't badmouth about watching this kid. This kid made fun of Chan because Chan was wearing high waters. So yeah, okay. you don't be little Chan because he's the watching according to him. Oh, okay. So anyway, the boy refused to come out of his house. So all these boys, Chan and six boys are like, you need, dude, you need to come out. Cause if you don't come out, we're going to start shooting up your house. We've oh got guns gosh. out here. So the boy's really concerned. You know, I don't want well, he did go outside, and he got his ass kicked. So six, the six boys ended up kicking his ass while Chan stood there and watched. Oh, so he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. He just oh, orchestrated the that whole thing. Like a kind of now, um, in my in my research, I also learned that the Asian Americans uh, they have a huge distrust of police. So the boy, a neighbor, called the police and and said what was going on, but the boy refused to press charges. So nothing ever came about of that. That's unfortunate. Yes. Okay, moving on. Um, Now, these kids were all clean cut. They had good grades, but the warning signs were there. For example, Chan would brag to his classmates about, you know, he had dangerous gang ties. He also said that he ran a cheating ring for the SAT. Actually, actually would like, if you wanted to get into good school, you could pay somebody to take your SAT. He was Uh, the guy you'd go to. uh, Well, we know with recent developments, that's what people are doing yeah. of stature right and, uh, celebrity status mm-hmm. wow. uh, a couple of the other boys and I'm going to give their names later but one of the other kids came to school with a bloodstained knife he showed this girl's like yeah look I just murdered somebody um, now these kids were wealthy they were well educated they, they were honorable students they fell outside of the stereotype you know you think of Asian American you think oh yeah that kid's perfect you know it's probably got a strict parent parentage right. and what are they um tiger moms right yeah yeah but you know so you don't want to think that they're doing anything bad so a lot of the adults like this is going below the radar on a lot of adult for a lot of adults yeah i mean like kids that are clean cut and wear suits and ties and are on honor roll if someone said oh yeah someone said was a gang member and that's the kid they're pointing out right yeah yeah right right 
Now, it's important for me to say that the police never proved that Robert Chan was a member of the Watch King. They think it was all hot air. They think he was just okay. bragging. He was just making this up. And he might have been. But it's clear that his, his peers really believed it. Um, to adults, Chan, like Tay, seemed to be the perfect child. He was a straight-A student. He was born in Taiwan. He was in the top 1% of college-bound students. He was in the top 1% of college-bound students. Now, they both, Tay and Chan, were both IB students. Okay. Now, Chan was active in Key Club also, which is a big thing there. He was on the academic decathlon team, and he tutored his <laughs> peers. And according to police, he had a spotless record, which allowed him and his friends to commit a number of smaller crimes. They got away with a lot of things just because of what they look like and their grades. So, Tay ended up getting information from Jennifer Lynn, the ex-girlfriend. Jennifer's like, you can contact my ex-boyfriend, just don't tell him it was me. And so, Tay, you know, he's like this brilliant guy. He decides he's going to play a little game. So, at a an academic decathlon where the schools are together competing for this like trivia ball or whatever they do. I don't even know, but some kid approaches Robert Chan in a very mysterious way. He hands Robert Chan a playing card with the ace of spades on it. Just out of nowhere. Just out of nowhere. And he's like, be prepared. Or he says something very, very, you know, obscure and, and, you know, mysterious. Okay. Chan, in his own words, later told police that he was dumbfounded by this car, but he was intrigued. So he was excited to hear what this was all about. Well, later that night, he gets a call from a guy calling himself Martin Gore. Now, Gore claims to be a 19-year-old gangster with ties to Secret Service, the CIA, as well as the underworld. Like, he's got 100 <laughs> followers in this criminal underworld. Wait, wait, a 19-year-old? Yes. Is tied to the CIA? Well, I guess the watching is like, you know, it's all young people. So, right. would it, you know, yeah. I mean, to us, it's silly. So, it was the CIA. The CIA, the Secret Service, and the criminal underworld. With 100 followers. He's got 100, 100 followers um, beneath what? him. Just oh, to, just to like, order around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I call bullshit. Okay, well, I do too. But, <laughs> but Chan didn't. Gore told Chan, he's like, look, dude, you know, I've got this thing, the secret thing. I don't want anyone to know about it i need your help and your name came up as being like the best person to go to for this so go gore told chan that he heard about chan's connections and he wants to recruit chan for a job he needs a weapon so chan he's saying chan i need you to get me a weapon and i need you to help me with um with a job i have well if he has ties to the criminal underworld and he has ties to right. the cia and the Secret Service, shouldn't he be able to get his own weapon? Right. But he doesn't want anyone else involved. He wants he wants new blood in, apparently. So somehow Chan bites this, you know. Chan he's taking the like bait. A, like a naive idiot. Yeah. All right. Anyway, Chan agrees to meet with Gore. They they have a face to face meeting. Now, when he meets Gore, you know, he's got this really nice brand spanking new Nissan 300ZX fancy red car. Oh, wow. He's got a beeper. Yeah, he's got a beeper, you know. It makes him look like he's a big, a big time gangster. So it seems legit to Chan. Right. It makes it sound like they probably are the products of family members who have money. Right. Well, Chan believes the story. He takes it hook, line, and the sinker, okay? 
They then they began to brag to each other about their criminal dealings. So Chan brags about his involvement in watching. He promises that he can get back up for the heist. He can provide manpower and high powered weapons. He's like, I can get an AK forty seven. Right. Yeah, he tells Gore. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. This. It's kind of like what what are those like too much fucking what, TV? What do you, what do they call that? Like a dick competition? What do they call that? Like oh yeah, my dick's bigger than yours. You know, yeah, like yeah. yeah. Okay, well, anyway, a dick measuring contest. he told Gore that he also ran a side SAT business. He, that I believe. Yes, and That's he did. Great. Yes. Now, Gore claimed, oh, yeah, well, guess what? I can make f- fake IDs and I can make credit cards. I can get my hands on high-powered explosives and I can pirate computer programs and probably VHS tapes. What, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> is that the right era? Are we still? <laughs> yeah. That would be VHS, yeah. Uh-huh. We're not quite to DVD, but we're past beta. So they they met a few more times after to plan the robbery. Now the plan was to force their way into a computer dealer's home in Anaheim, tie up the man's family, and steal thousands of dollars in computer goods. Chan had enlisted three other guys because remember Chan's like, oh dude, I've got the manpower. So he gets three of his buddies to join in. So he gets his buddies Charles Cho. Kern Kim and Mun Kane. All of these are honor students, also Asian Americans. Actually, I think all three of those are Korean Americans. Okay. And they decide they're going to help him. So they all meet. They meet with Gore. And at this meeting, Gore drops his wallet. And it falls open. And Chan bends down to pick it up. And he checks out the dude's driver's license and realizes that this is not Martin Gore. This is Stuart Tay. And ah. he didn't know, he did not know Tay, did not realize that this is his girl, ex-girlfriend's um, boyfriend. At first, a private investigator, I'll talk about later, thought that the motive, the reason behind the killing was the girlfriend. But Tay had no, I mean, Stuart, sorry, Chan had no idea that Tay was dating Jennifer Lynn, the ex-girlfriend. Okay. So is, is she's Jennifer not a American mo- too? She is. Okay. <clears throat> That was not a motive for the murder. The motive was that Tay approached him with a fake name. It was like, we, I can't trust you anymore. Did you lie to me about your name, about who you are, about your dealings? I can't trust anything you do. Now, so Tay and Gore are the same person. Tay and Gore are the same person. Now, let me tell you that Tay, uh, what I didn't tell you earlier, is that he's kind of like really into punk rock, um, alternative, and his favorite band is Depeche Mode. He's also a keyboardist. And the keyboardist for Depeche Mode's name is Martin Gore. Uh Yeah. I didn't know that. So this is where he got the name. But at this point, Chan is beyond furious. Like, he is fucking pissed. He's raging. And he can't trust Tay. So he begins to plot his murder. Oh, wow. Is it really, like, that... Is that really necessary, dude? Well, and we're going to learn later that the, um, a couple things about Chan that would explain this behavior a little bit, or at least what the defense uses to explain his behavior. Okay. So he does, he begins to plot a murder. So Chan, along with his friend Cho, his friends Cho, Kim, and Kang, they plan to lure Tay with the promise of a gun. So they're, they're pretending to stick with this, this heist. Okay. Tay wants a gun. So they're going to, um, they're going to lure him with the gun and then they're gonna they're gonna murder him okay but, I have a question. yes and you may have said this already and i apologize if you did but did they confront him right then and say hey i saw your real name on your wallet in your wallet 
I can't trust you or did they just go along that you know what that's a really good question that I never really saw I know that I think that they did confront him at that time okay and because at that point the meeting breaks up it is because Chan is pissed but then Chan then they decide to lure him back so they decide you know what you gave us the wrong name we're gonna go ahead with this at least that's what they tell him okay I mean you could have turned on I didn't know if I could trust you, so I gave you this fake name. And he does. He oh. does. He kind of says the same thing. But he went to great pains to portray himself as this mysterious guy. Who has ties to the Secret Service, right. the CIA. Right. Yada, yada, yada. Now, not not that that deserved to be murdered. I mean, yeah. they're children. They're yeah. kids playing this adult game. It's ridiculous. But anyway... Um, he also so they decide well where are we going to do this where are we going to put the body you know we're going to need some help so chan enlists the help of a kid named abraham acosta now acosta is the only non-asian in the group i was like that is not an asian it is not (laughs) he's the only non-asian and i guess he's he's known as some sort of badass at school i'm not really sure people think he's very weird he's very odd but um he is a special education student he's not an honor student he has very few friends so he quickly agrees to help chan when chan enlists him chan's like dude can you help me with a murder i'll pay you two hundred dollars probably feel some acceptance yeah there. right now all these guys went to the same high school sunny hills high school so they could plot things and the day before their murder they all met at acosta's house acosta lived in um like a poor part of town and his wife his not his wife because he's only like 17 but his mom is a single mom with five children. Whoa. She she rents their home. And living in California? Yes. In a suburb of LA? Right. Their poor is probably like our rich. Well, they're in Bueno, Bueno, Bueno Park, which I didn't get a chance to look look at, but their house is like in a different area. Okay. They all go to the same school. So, if you live in California, California poor is not Well, it is, but it's still their rent and stuff is still higher. It's crazy, yeah. Yo. Yeah. Okay, so they decided they they actually met before the uh, the day before the murder, and they rehearsed everything. They decided where the murder would happen. They decided, oh, let's do it in Acosta's garage. They decided where to stash the murder weapons. So two baseball bats. Yeah. Of this kid who is ESPN. yes and no. We're going to talk about that. Okay. Okay. I apologize. For uh, so they decided where it would happen in his garage, where they would stash the two weapons, which were two baseball bat. I mean, three weapons, two baseball bats, and a sledgehammer um they decided to put those like in the corners at easy reach they decided who would strike first acosta since we're paying him to strike first and they would decide who would serve as lookout that would be kim and then who would help dispose of the body they would all help dispose of the body chan decided that he would dispose of the evidence and i'll talk about that in a minute but the day before this all happened when they rehearsed everything they also dug a shallow grave in acosta's backyard and the neighbor looks over and like, dudes, what are you guys doing back there? And obviously they're digging what looks like a grave. Right. And they're like, oh, well, we have to bury a, lo- a very large dead dog. So the neighbor's like, oh, okay. But, you Did know. The, the neighbor's never seen their very large dog. Before? Yeah. I, it, it, that's where it goes. He notices the other, these other kids there. So, you know what? Maybe someone's bringing their dead dog over. I don't know. All right. So. Now we're going to go to the next day, which happens to be New Year's Eve, December 31st, 1992. Tay is at his home, his 11-room home. (laughs) He tells his sister, he's like, and his sister's name is Candace. He's like, Candace, I have to run an errand. Look, I'll be back in just a little while. Um, (coughs) 
so he gets in his brand new shiny red nissan 300 zx and he drives to denny's where he's meeting the other chan and the other three guys they then all drove they're like dude you know follow us we're gonna go get the gun it's at it's at this other guy's house so they all drive to buena park to the home of abraham acosta and with the promise of a potential gun sale he goes into this garage unknowingly to his own death he follows the boys into the garage and um kang handed tay a metal box now the box was actually empty but it was it it was supposed to have hold, hold a gun now tay's examining the box trying to figure out how to open it when chan gives acosta a nod and acosta picks up a baseball bat and swings it swings a blow to tay's skull uh, then Chan picks up the other baseball bat and starts swinging. Now, not the other boys are all spread out. One guy's a lookout. One guy's in the other house, in the house, making sure nobody comes in. Um, and another guy's just standing there watching. So the only two that actually hit Tay are Chan and Acosta. Jeez. Now Chan picks up the baseball bat. He's hitting, and Tay's not dying. He's not dying. This dude, we're fucking bashing his head, and he's not dying. I can't. So then he picks up the sledgehammer. Oh Christ! At at this point, Tay is begging. He's begging for his life. He's like, "What did I do to you? What did I do?" Chan couldn't take that anymore. He finds. He picks up a bottle of rubbing alcohol, forces the boy's mouth open, pours the rubbing alcohol into his mouth, and duct tapes his face, his mouth, and nose shut. So, Tay finally dies. He ends up dying of aspiration. He ends up dying in his own vomit. Oh. With blunt, and also uh, blunt force trauma. I mean, he... Yeah, he, he aspirated on his own vomit. Yes. Oh, my God. So, um, the boys end up carrying him through the garage to the backyard, and they put him into the shallow grave. Now... The grave is so small that they have to like bend his legs up so they kind of put him in the fetal position and they bury him back up but it's obvious you know they he's not even covered with dirt hardly at all now after afterwards the path a pathologist later testifies that taste suffered for as long as an hour or more before dying he's a tough guy he wouldn't die um, his heart. I mean, even if he was full of shit and his story. He's still the he promise, this kid, you yeah. know? He was. He didn't deserve that. No, he didn't. He was just. He just maybe wanted excitement in his life, you know? It's like they're straight, straight A students and, and they're just bored with everything Smarter and they just want. Their own good. Yes. Wow. Anyway, um, after they put the body in and they after they put the body into the grave acosta's like dudes i'm going to bed but they first took the money out of his wallet and split that up acosta got more money than the others because of course you know he's the one that was paid to do the the murder (coughs) now he's like i'm not i'm done with this i did my part i'm going to bed the others leave they have to deal with tay's car yeah all right i worked up uh i need to what a jackass yeah, I'm going to go to sleep now. I'm going to go to bed now. Now, you know, some people sleep to ex- to what, escape from things, you know? Yes, but I just can't. I don't think I would be able to sleep yeah. for days. Okay, so this is what they do with the car. And to me, it's kind of brilliant. Kind of. So, um, Kim, Car and Kim, uh, I've read where they actually, he actually dyed his hair blonde so people wouldn't recognize him. But um, I saw that in a couple of different places. But he drives tay's car this beautiful car um he's wearing gloves because she's like here's some gloves so your fingerprints aren't in the car and they drive it to compton 
<laughs> where they leave the car on the side of the road with the keys in it unlocked. Uh, now, how long do you think that sat there? An hour. Right? Didn't yeah, even last an hour. It said before they made it through the next intersection, that car was already gone. Wow. And police, at first, when they found the car, they found it. It was stripped. They first it was stripped. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they first suspected a carjacking. You know, if the body would have been in the car, the boys probably would have gotten away with it. Wow. Okay. Um, and the police are like, you know, when, the, when, when this all comes out, they're like, why would they bury the guy in the car? That just didn't make sense. But, you know, it's, it's children that you're dealing with. I mean, young adults. I mean, they're 17, 18, 16. They're still children. So I told you about them splitting up the cash. Um, one of the guys was asked later, what'd you do with the cash? And he said he used it to buy pizza and use it for other entertainment for New Year's Eve. Yeah. Chan Cho and Kang went to a New Year's Eve party. Um, Kim ended up going home to play video games. When Tay didn't come home that night, his parents knew automatically something was wrong. Like this kid, you know, he was a good boy. He didn't go out. He didn't party. He was home. They ended up hiring a private investigator. I'm not sure if they ever actually call the police or not, but I know that many Asian Americans, they try to avoid any contact with the police. I'm not saying that they try to avoid it. All I know is that I know they hired a private investigator. And they may have done that after the car was found. But at the point, they hired this private investigator, and he quickly, within three days of getting hired, he, he quickly discovered the plot. Um, he interviewed some of the kids. He interviewed Tay's girlfriend and realized that there was some sort of connection with Sunny Hills High School. He's the one that first it thought it was a jealousy, like a love triangle. So he talked to a few kids, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about what, uh, what one of the boys said to him. But once he figured out what was going on, he contacted police. The boys were arrested a few days later. Now, the officer assigned to watch the boys, like before they were being booked, it took a few hours for booking, stated that they all showed no remorse. Nobody showed any emotion. They weren't scared. They didn't. They weren't in anguish. He said they didn't show any emotion at all. And as a matter of fact, one of them, handcuffed to the chair, was doing his calculus homework. Oh, my God. I mean, a student doing homework. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. So anyway, like I said, his parents hired this private investigator and he quickly set about interviewing Tay's friends and got to the girlfriend. And the girlfriend's like, well, you know, I told him a little bit about this. So the PI went and, um, to talk to a student and oh, another kid, Timis Very, and Timis Very said, yeah, I heard Acosta talking about killing someone. Timis Very also told him that as soon as I heard Chan, now Timis Ferry is one of Chan's friends, and he had heard Chan talking about the murder before it ever happened. Okay. So he knew that when Tay went missing, he knew what was. He up. knew something happened. So he called Chan that that day. He's like, "Dude, what happened?" And Chan told him the whole murder. Now this Timis Ferry told the PI that stupid for being so smart. Yeah, they they brag a lot. They talk a lot. They can't keep their mouth shut. Now, Tim very told the PI what, what, um, what Chan had told him, and then the PI went to the police. When the police interviewed Tim Sperry, he asked, they asked him, you know, well, did you find it unusual that these wealthy boys would want to plan a robbery? And the kids said, no, you know, you can never have enough money. Um, when he was asked, well, would you, would you have tried to stop it if you knew before? And he's like, no, I probably would have been involved. He said that he wasn't involved because he was on vacation with his family. Oh, my God. Right? These kids live in a fantasy world. Right. They have now, no 
No. They live in a, they're delusional and they have no concept of the real world. Right. Well, the police said they were shocked about how many kids knew about the murder before it ever happened and the ones who knew about it after the fact because rumors spread fast. He said nobody came forward. That's crazy to me. I don't care if you're uh-huh. trusting of the police or not. Right. You. I mean, I would, I can't imagine them being like oh okay well and the police were like you know we had to dig it out of these kids they were not going to come forward we had to like threaten them and coerce them um now it could be a couple of things i mean maybe they really did believe the watching um the watching connection they're afraid to tell who knows i mean yeah but they're not snitches i mean i guess if you thought that there was gang ties really right and that you could be hurt or your family members i mean who knows how long they had been telling people they were a part of this and setting that right setting that yeah up to scare them i mean if you know that someone is a mob you know i mean if you know that this person's married or the their dad is john Gotti and they're talking about all this shit at school you're probably going to keep your fucking mouth shut right right yeah so if he's been talking snitches about get stitches and wind up in ditches yeah so if they keep have been talking about this gang tie stuff for how many ever years or however long the kids probably aren't and if they're already asian american they probably maybe possibly already know about this gang from family members or just being in that cultural group well we're going to talk a little bit about that that community in just a minute now police when they arrested these boys they quickly established robert chan as the ringleader it was it was obvious to them plus they also had that other incident where those six boys did the beat down on that one kid and robert chan was just like orchestrating the whole thing now they said right exactly they said that he set the plan in motion he's the one that um hired acosta as to get rid of someone he gave Kim uh, the rubber glove so his fingerprints wouldn't be in the car. He orchestrated the rehearsal. He orchestrated the, the shallow grave. It was also his idea to take the car to Compton. Now, one of the boys had learned on a crime documentary that one fiber could reveal the, the killer. So Chan took the responsibility for disposing of the blood spattered clothing, the rubbing alcohol bottle, the weapons, the metal box, and Tay's wallet. He took them to a park uh, Newport Beach Park, I believe, and he set them on fire in a barbecue pit. Now, when the police realized this, they went to the went to that park, and there were still there were still remains of the, a okay. lot of that evidence. So they were able to find some. They were five days after the murder. They went and found blood spatter on the walls and ceiling of Acosta's garage. So they didn't do much cleanup there. Again. Right. No common sense, really. Right. All right. So now, not long after the October beatdown, Chan's parents took him to a psychotherapist. In nineteen in November of nineteen ninety two, they noticed that their son is acting really strangely. Okay. Uh, so his mother testifies that she took him in the weeks before the murder. He refused to bathe. He would sleep with the lights on. He became convinced that strangers were out to hurt them. Like she said that um, at one point they were walking down the street and some homeless man said something to them like, you know, may I have a money or whatever? And he freaked out. He thought the guy was going to follow them home. Um, there was another incident where a woman was in their neighborhood that she was a stranger and he got very paranoid about that. 
So the Chans met with the counselor they, to discuss their son's problems because they were so scared and worried about him. Sounds like he might have some PTSD. Now, his mom's a former teacher, and she said he didn't feel any more hope for his life. So they had four visits with the counselor. And the counselor's like, you know, he's got moderate depression, but I don't think that unqualified to to treat him. He needs to go to a psychiatrist. Well, they couldn't get him into a psychiatrist until January 7th. Which, by the way, is one week after the murder. Yeah. So he does eventually see a psychiatrist while he's in in jail. And he is later diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Now, the psychologist said that he wasn't qualified to treat him. Psychologists treat... He was a counselor. not I, So maybe oh, okay. a family counselor. <clears throat> he's not qualified to, I guess, to, to diagnose that. He said that he... He needed to see a psychiatrist, is what he said in, tes- he in testimony. He's going to need medication, so I'm going to forward all of this on to a psychiatrist. Definitely right. could be. So at this point, you know, his mom is testifying, and we're skipping to the to the court. Okay. Now, she says that during his first three years of high school, he excelled in school. He was a sharp dresser. He was a contender for class valedictorian. But in early 1992, things started falling apart for him. He, his mother said they started to change. His grades began slipping. He refused to shower or brush his teeth. He wore filthy clothing. He became distant and depressed. She says she thought depression was normal in teens. And I know that some parents do. You know, teens get, you know, gloomy and depressed sometimes. But it is a ra- a, about the right age for schizophrenia. Yeah, it, it can develop anywhere from 16 to 25. But she sought help when he didn't improve. She says that shortly before the murder, she and her son were walking by a homeless man, and he became convinced that the man might hurt him and her. Another time, he became terrified of a woman who was walking by their family home, and he ran indoors. He was freaking out. Chan told his counselor that he felt like a spectator in his life. He felt depressed and hopeless. And the counselor, whose name was Gobi, testified that um, this was a splitting in his personality. Wow. That's really sad. It is. I feel really bad for the parents, too, and him, because he probably didn't know what the hell was going on with him. Because he really thought that those those people were. Yes. And and we're going to talk about that. Because some people claim that, you know, he's a genius and he could have... You know, he's trying to do the insanity plea because he's that smart. So okay. it's kind of plays into the stereotypical, you know, this a possibility. But right. If not. Right. That's really sad. And the parents are like, I, we've given our kids everything. They have the best of the best. We did everything that we possibly could. Where did, I mean, as a parent, I'm thinking, where did I go wrong? And I not yes, do? yes. And even though that's not is something it was in his it was in his his genetic makeup it's not their fault well his therapist further stated that chan told him you go to work or you go to school you work then you die it's just a very hopeless outlook on life now he was also consumed with random thoughts on death evil the smurfs he was consumed with thoughts about former president theodore roosevelt i'm not sure where these came from what uh, yeah smurfs and Teddy i know roosevelt. yeah so just i mean the schizophrenic mind is is very bizarre but yeah. his counselor testified that he at first thought chan's problems were just moderate he didn't realize the severity of them he testified you know well they can but, only go based off of right. what the patient says exactly 
and like I said, after the murders, when he got the diagnosis of, of paranoid schizophrenia, if he could have maybe gone to a psychiatrist before the end of the year, you know, let's just push everything to the to, to early next year since we've got Christmas parties and whatnot. You know, looks I mean, like the medication medical. takes time. They would have had to put him on medication that takes time. And if he was smart enough to realize something is not right, I'm not going to tell them because they're going to think I'm crazy. They're right. going to throw me in the loony bin. They're going to do this. Right. Now, a clinical psychologist testified that Chan heard voices in his head and acted under the delusion that Tay had rigged his home with explosives, which could detonate at any time. According to the psychologist, Chan feared that Tay was a member of an Asian mafia and that Tay knew info about Chan that no one else did. So I think finding that wallet and realizing that this kid wasn't who he said he was, I think that if he was paranoid schizophrenic, it messed with him. It messed with him. And I would have to say that he is. I mean, he's. I mean, I, people would not lie about that kind of diagnosis just to protect somebody in prison, would they? From going to prison. I mean, I guess if they had enough money and they could buy it off. But yeah. it sounds like to me, with everything else, just all of yeah, the things that you've told me already. Is, right. I mean, clearly I'm not a mental health professional, but... Yeah. Well, the Korean community, like I told you, three of the boys were Korean that were involved, and they were shocked. They were shocked by the involvement of, so. of their own kids being in it. They actually blamed the violence on the public schools. They blamed it on the lack of moral education in the high oh, schools. Jesus oh, God. If, God forbid if we try to teach moral education in high schools, what would happen, right? <laughs> now, well, maybe they'd have some morals. But, yeah, no. Well, your morals and my morals right. are completely different. Right. And, don't yeah, and if you're in Korea or one of those countries, most people are going to have the same moral, moral values. Right. But anyway, according to them... Kern Kim, Charles Cho, and Mun Kang were Americanized, so the blame lies with the American system of education. Of course, blame the teachers, right? Don't get me started. Now, <laughs> Abraham Acosta was the only non-Asian suspect, as I said earlier. He was a special ed student at Sunny Hills High School, and he was described by his friends as being kind of weird. I already went through this. People, um, like, he told the police that he couldn't read, so when he was arrested... He said, I can't read when they try to give him something to read. And then when they did the Miranda rights, he's like, I don't understand. So they had to, like, put it in a different language. Uh, he said he still didn't really understand. His attorney is pushing the slow, retarded defense or push that. They're, you know, he's mentally retarded. But someone that was close to the investigation said that he wasn't really as stupid as they were trying to make him out to be. He lived in a rented home in Buena Park with his mother and four siblings. He was known to wear outlandish hats and clothes. He loved dancing and attending raves. Now, his lawyers claim that he was mentally retarded and easily manipulated by others, which could be if you're, yeah. So he probably just had a low IQ. He was an outcast. These people were accepting of him. So he was easily led. Right. I mean, that would, anyone who does, I don't have any friends. These people want to, I'm going to do whatever I can yes. to be. Now, he be was, um, at the time, well, you know, he was under 18 when it occurred. So he was convicted of first-degree murder, but he ended up going to the California, the CYA, which is California Youth, Youth. something. I, I have it written down somewhere. I'll get to that with the other kid. But he was released at 25. So he, he served in the youth facility until he was 25. So he could still... Well, in 92, he was, what, 17... 17 so 20 years later 25 would have been eight years later so in 2000 he was released and, but what i'm saying is is mm -hmm. he still had a life ahead absolutely of yes now kern kim that's the one that drove the car to compton. compton 
He was from a prestigious family in Orange County. His dad was a doctor. His mom was also a volunteer. She won a lot of awards, too. And his friends had overheard Chan ask him if he would help dispose of a dead body. Now, he acknowledged being a lookout and playing video games on his PC, but he denied having any other involvement in the murder. But, you know, he still took part in the plotting. So he was sentenced to 25 years in prison. So did he deny driving the car, or did he take admit to that? You know, I don't know if he ever admitted to that fully or not. Okay. He did end up serving, getting 25 years in prison, and he, he served 18 years of that. So he got out in 2012. He was wow. recently released. I mean, they were so young. Yeah. That, you know, and being as smart as they are, I'm sure they rebound. Well, um, now this kid, Charles Cho, also Korean-American, he admitted to being in the garage with Tay when the killing started. He didn't have anything to do with killing him, but he watched it all. He was there. He helped carry the body to its grave. Now, he was a volunteer at YMCA, um, worked in the child care program. He was an IB student, honor roll student. He planned to attend an Ivy League school. And after his arrest, he cried to his mom. It's so heartbreaking. He's like, you know, I ruined my life. I'm never going to go to college. My life is over. It's, I messed my life up. So everything that he had worked so hard for is, is totally gone. Now, he ended up pleading guilty. And in exchange for testifying against Chan, he was sentenced to a California Youth Authority facility, CYA, okay. where he was released at 25. He's the guy that once came to school with a bloody knife. And his peers saw him as very strange. He was the weakest link for police. Like when police went in to figure out. Yeah, they knew the story, right? The other guy, Mun Kang, he is also a Korean American. He was described as an easygoing guy. He denied knowing Tay at first until they left him alone with Kim. And then they talked. And then he talked to his parents. And his parents are like, look. If you're responsible for this, you need to fucking admit it. You need to admit it now so these parents know them. the truth. Good for them. So he admitted to handing Tay the metal box and helping to carry his body. He was a loner, kept himself, but his parents wanted him to take responsibility for his actions and spare the Tay family, so he confessed and pled guilty. Now, I don't know. I, I read somewhere that he ended up dying of AIDS, that he contracted in prison. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I don't believe he's still alive at this time. I I think he may have died in prison, but I couldn't oh, find that information. Sorry. Went back to look for it. So on New Year's Eve in 92, five of Orange County's best and brightest, five of our country's best and brightest, uh, they murdered another boy. And it was premeditated. It was brutal. They beat Stuart Tay to death. And when he wouldn't die, they killed him with rubbing alcohol. So both Stuart Tay and Robert Chan were bright students with loving families, but you know, they unfortunately their bright futures ended in such a senseless murder. That's awful. Yeah. Chan was convicted of first degree murder in ninety four after less than three hours. Um and after less than three hours of jury deliberation, so he was sentenced to, to life in prison without parole. So he's still there as far as I know. Wow. Yeah. Wow, well, thank you very much. Yeah, it's very sad. It's so sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it's sad when anyone thinks that that's the only option that they have is to murder someone. And I hate to say that it's even more sad when someone with so much potential. Yes, because this could have been, you know, the next... Somebody could have, you know, yeah. come up with the next cure for cancer or something. Who knows? Yeah, because Who they, knows? Were on right? that, they were on that path. Right. 
And they just they were just too smart for their own good, right? And and I think just the 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 glamour of living a life of crime and you know it just kind of lured them a little bit. Kids always try to act like they're tougher than they should be anyway. So that's it for this week. And we appreciate you guys listening. Thanks so much. We would really appreciate your support. So please subscribe to our podcast. And while you're there, give us a five-star rating. Leave us a comment about anything. Guys, your comments and your subscriptions really push us up the charts. And we do appreciate your help. If you uh, need more information, you can find our links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. <laughs> we do not have Tinder. Our Twitter, our Twitter pages. Uh, it wasn't me, truecrime.com. We are so grateful to be able to come together and share these stories with you. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. Please subscribe and rate us on your favorite platform. And if you'd like to support us even further, Visit patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Thanks guys, and remember, it wasn't, it wasn't me. me.